Welcome to the Translate Your Doctor podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Figures, joined as always with my co-host, Dr. Trey Sertish. And today we are talking about the stigmatization of disease, which sounds very exciting. But before we jump into that very exciting, very fun topic, Trey, I think it's important context to lay the foundation to talk a little bit about compassion fatigue and burnout and those elements that that care providers, nurses, physicians go through as it relates to being able to connect with what the optics of something might look like uh, to a patient. And I am genuinely curious, we try not to talk about these things in advance so that that we can have an authentic uh, dialogue here on the podcast. How much of that do you see and have you experienced as someone that's known for being very compassionate and very empathetic with patients? It's one of your superpowers. Do you feel like you've had to fight this level of compassion fatigue and gallows humor? And and how much of it do you see across the profession in your professional experience? Yeah, I think that likely if you counted up the amount of encounters that healthcare professionals are having with patients and with themselves about patients, it's a minority. I don't have a number necessarily, but it's likely a minority. But the ones that you think of that are truly mean-spirited are very rare. I don't see that often. Uh, And the ones that are, like you talk about gallows humor and, and somewhat trying to make light of what is a objectively terrifying or horrible situation, that's a little bit more common. And again, it just speaks to how do people respond to what, again, are very challenging, scary, sad, tragic circumstances to make them more tolerable over time. Because I think unlike most people who are dealing with a death, say, of a loved one, that is sort of one, not a one time, but in that moment, a one time response. But if you're a person who is moving from worst situation of that person's life to the next room, to the next room, to the next room, and they're all sort of the same flavor, if that's just how the dice rolled that day, that can be really hard on somebody. And yes, it's what we train to do. Yes, we're very good at it. Yes, some are better than others, but it still always takes a toll and different people have different mechanisms to kind of compensate for it. I was recently in an emergency room environment with uh, with a family member. Luckily, everything turned out okay. But I, I caught myself going through this mental process of thinking, gosh, please don't let any of these nurses or doctors say some, give some incredibly cold take that I can overhear. <laughs> Even as a, a, a medical insider, like I get it. A nurse yeah. showing up to work, a doctor showing up to work, it's just their job. And right. their job is to care for people. And they likely do a phenomenal job of doing it. But there's a degree of cognitive dissonance that goes on where this may be the hundredth or thousandth patient you've seen this month that has had that has some issue that you know is perfectly benign, but the patient doesn't know that. Right. And the patient can get it is very anxious and in this heightened emotional state. And you're stepping out of the exam room and you're rolling your eyes and you're like, Mm -hmm. oh my gosh, we got another one. And and there are all these lovely terms that uh, care providers have for difficult patients that don't make it easy on the providers, on the Mm -hmm. nurses to, to care for them. And it creates these comical and sometimes not so comical misunderstandings when you have a a care provider make a comment that they shouldn't make. There's a a famous, I think, emergency medicine, ER nurse, ER doctor slogan that was popular when I was managing hospitals that was, uh, we're here to save your ass, not kiss it. That was uh, incredibly charming, very funny, humorous for uh, healthcare insiders. And as you can imagine, not entirely well received by the public at large 
when the the nurse mm-hmm. walking into your exam room is wearing a "We're here to kiss, we're here to save your ass, not not kiss it" T-shirt. You know, not having been at that institution and get the context, and you know, there are jokes and so on, but just understanding that no matter your political leanings, medicine is an extremely conservative. And I'm not talking politically; I'm talking like just like in terms of how do you approach these very sensitive topics, very conservative professions, one of the most conservative professions. And so you just, anytime you're doing things like that, you really got to ask yourself, like, how will this be interpreted? Because, you know, again, somebody's children could have died in a car accident when they see that, that t-shirt. And do I, do I want that person who made that t-shirt to be thrown out and all the t-shirts burned? No. I mean, I, it's, Again, it was sort of a, in poor taste, but I can also see where that comes from. I can see the, the stressors that lead to that because you feel like your job as healthcare provider is to provide healthcare. I would push back and I hold myself and my learners to a high standard. I don't always meet that standard, but I hold myself and them to that, which is that you, you do offer more than just saving people because i would also push back on that emergency department say how many people are you really saving a day pretty rare you're not seeing that much life-threatening illness hour to hour day to day a lot of what you're seeing is again in this country where primary care is fragmented and difficult to attain particularly in an acute care setting immediately a lot of what you're seeing is low acuity disease vast majority of what's moving through emergency departments and hospitals, even at large academic centers, such as the one I practice at. And so all I would say is that, well, if you're not saving that person in that moment, and you're not, as it says, kissing your ass in that moment, what are you offering to your patients other than making them feel belittled for having their problem? Yeah. So again, I don't want to lecture. That sounds really luxury, but I just think that you just got to ask yourself, but I feel my heart goes out because I think we've all felt it, myself included, when you're dealing with feeling like what you're doing should be enough and isn't. And it's become a trope in medicine, the notion of compassion fatigue. It's the, it may not be the Dr. House syndrome specifically, because that's a unique case, but it, it is, it is a common archetype for the burned out physician that they close themselves off. They care so much that they've had to close <laughs> themselves off. And they've and, and really that's just their their body armor is making jokes and being cynical because deep down they just oh it hurts and, and they had this tragic thing happen in their first year post residency that that caused them to they'll never love again. They'll never love a patient again. <laughs> and, and I think it's it's that and more. I know that you're saying that tongue in cheek and it's true, but it, it's that and more. I mean, I have met and felt at certain points where jokes need to be made because it was just, it was a terrible circumstance and you don't have time to just sit there and cry at the end of the credits of the tragedy movie, right? The movies give you the opportunity to be like, oh, I can express my emotions now. And, and, and that is the, that is a finite period of time. But if you're working and the beauty, but also challenge of medicine is you don't know what's going to come. You don't know what your day will look like that you feel like you have to ration that emotional energy if you want to be an effective, compassionate person. And there are some who are better at rationing, but there are also just some who have a deeper well. Yeah. And again, people manifested in so many different ways. I think it's a good foundation Mm. because it contextualizes this difficulty. Back to patient-physician or patient-healthcare system relationship where there's a known trope for 
the compassion fatigued nurse, the compassion fatigued physician, we're here to save your ass, not kiss it. Known trope. And patients feel scared of that, defensive about that. And then healthcare providers also feel that, that to some extent they've earned the right after a long shift or after five shifts back to back to not need to feel like they're just rolling out the red carpet and just like, oh, whatever you need. Hey, look, this job is tough. I've got 27 other things going on. I, I need to be able to just like, just the facts, ma'am, without a smile on my face at every single every single second. So there's this, there's this challenging quality on, on both sides coming into that interaction. Yeah, moral licensing, which is what you're describing, is exactly is a concern. Is a it's natural, it's understandable. You see it in different industries outside of medicine, but it doesn't mean that it's excusable. I guess is what I'd say, or that's the standard we want to hold ourselves to. To just feel, and I know that's not what you're suggesting, but to feel like I had this sort of day, therefore I deserve this kind of thing. I would argue that how many times as a physician you've heard someone say. I struggle with alcoholism, but I work really hard. And at the end of the day, I want to have my, you know, three martinis in a row. And I think the physician would say, well, you can't do that. You know, like that, that it's just that simple. And whether or not that's helpful is another discussion. But I think we can all agree that it's no different than saying like, I had a really hard day so far. I get to treat you in a way that I wouldn't treat a loved one. Okay. It may be how you need to be treated in that moment. You've already mentioned difficult patients. And that is itself another episode is like what defines a difficult patient. Cause there are difficult, but there are people who are just mean P people are mean. Right? Doctors yep. are mean. Nurses are mean. People are mean. And sometimes you have to be curt and, and establish boundaries with people who are being violent or verbally abusive or, you know, I wouldn't say ridiculous, but just have standards that are outside of what can be delivered. So sometimes that is necessary. But is that the common circumstance when the person who is doing the moral licensing is saying, ah, I can just treat this 66 year old grandma who came in with, you know, a sprained ankle curtly? Like, I don't know if you do that to your 66 year old grandmother who came in with the same problem. So it's well said. The next part of that conversation, why does the medical industry come into this? What is their deal? What is their problem? Why are there <laughs> jerks? Um, too many, so many in medicine. And here's the argument they would make, which is compassion fatigue, burnout, all of these things. And you illustrate perfectly the next point, which is, and no one cares when you're in the exam room for this very, very specific reason. In the exam room, in the hospital, there is such a wide power differential. The patient is so powerless to advocate for themselves that honestly, for the doctor, for the nurse, there's nothing that patient can do to you. There's nothing. They, they'd have no tools in that interaction. You walk into that interaction having all of the knowledge, all of the power. The patient can drive so little decision-making. And there are these terrible, tragic stories about, about patients being convinced and being right that a loved one is is having a terrible event right in front of them and just having no idea how to communicate like i think something really terrible is happening to my mother right. help please someone right, right and that's what necessitates as you just said the repeated messaging that you and i both believe to healthcare providers which is it is an unfortunate cost in the industry that it puts such a burden on our care providers it is truly terrible and it never excuses punching down on right. the patient who always has the least amount of power. It's very challenging because 
I interact with a lot of learners and my own practice. And there, there are times when you're exhausted and there are times when you're interacting with people who are perhaps more exhausted and more wrung out and can't provide the care they, they themselves know they need to. And that cognitive dissonance, that emotional dissonance really drives people to act in different ways. And I'm not excusing it because I wouldn't in that moment. I think that I would say you have failed that patient and I think you failed yourself. And I think that you did that. And some people have a capacity in that moment to sit with themselves and their actions and have that conversation and be like, you know what? I made a mistake. I told a lie, you know, like if you're a kid, like I told a lie and I'm going to do better. And, and that's fine. I think we're all imperfect beings who are constantly changing. But I think what happens is that like you're describing that power differential exists. And if you're not forcing introspective on yourself and you don't have close allies who can call you on those things, or at least engage you in a discussion that's safe, you'll just continue to do it. And that moral licensing that you're taking will become your practice. And before you know it, it's contributing to what is contributing so much to dissatisfaction in medicine, which is the erosion of those relationships Mm -hmm. with your patient. Because if the patient is the enemy, if the patient is the source of your stress and the way you feel, which is, again, largely your fault, but that's strong verbiage. But in this example, we're using largely your fault because you didn't take the time to introspect and really reflect why do you feel that way, then you can't help but with every interaction feel like you're combating something mm-hmm. when it shouldn't feel that way. It should only feel that way those rare instances where you're combating someone. It shouldn't feel like yeah. resistance to inhabit yeah. the core elements of your profession. Right, right. I think that many patients would perhaps listen to that, what you're saying in terms of physicians holding all the power and think that that's wrong and perhaps that it is. But the way that we've structured it is it's seemingly necessary. And the, the thing we've done to help with that is to, again, in medical education and training to just constantly hope that the people they're exposed to, the mentors they have, the curriculum they follow, all of these things, hammering into them over and over again, you can't take that for granted. And it's not a perfect system. So I'm just reflecting on it. Well, it's a good backdrop, and yeah. and this was really meant to set a, a groundwork for yeah. the discussion that you encouraged us to have around stigma, mm. because this is the first step on the staircase that leads up how challenging it is to have open communication between physician and patient, especially when it's something that's become stigmatized in our yeah. society. And you and I were talking about this notion of there are disease states that have stigma associated with them, lung cancer, right? Someone mm-hmm. has lung cancer, and there's this quality of like, well, you shouldn't have, you shouldn't have smoked. Shouldn't have been a, shouldn't have been a smoker. If you smoked any cigarettes, your your fault that you have lung cancer. Stigma associated with that. Sexually transmitted disease, diseases, STDs, STIs. They of course have an enormous amount of stigma associated with them. Any obesity or weight related illness, oh my gosh, has an enormous amount of stigma. Uh, related with it. And that in and of itself, that stigma combined with a fear of, from the patient of being made fun of, being ridiculed, being looked at, and, and hearing that, well, you did it to yourself. Ugh, what a miserable yeah. 
yes. thing to have happen. You walk into an environment that has a natural power imbalance. You have images in your mind of the compassion fatigue, the, the Dr. Gregory House as the physician that you're going to see. And there's a viral TikTok video that went out a couple of weeks ago about a patient that walks in. She's having these GI issues, stomach pains. She can't hold food down and, and she's overweight. And she says to her physician, like, I'm unable to eat. And the everyone knows what's coming next. The physician says back to her, well, maybe that's not such a bad thing. Right, right rushing just like a comically you, you truth is stranger than fiction it's like there's no way someone a grown person in a with the responsibility of care heard a patient in pain and suffering and vulnerable say to them i'm having such discomfort i cannot eat and with a straight face said back to them into their face in the room maybe that's not such a bad thing Sure, sure. And obviously not having seen the circumstance. I tend to think, because I bet you, perhaps I've never said anything that that's devastating, but I replay the like the film in my mind about what are the things that, I think this exists both ways. Recall when you're like a kid or even older when you're in college and stuff and just interacting with, I use teachers a lot because that tends to be the kind of unifying theme, but like, People who interacted with you who like changed your life. There's just like, you can't, you had one conversation with this person that just like etched into your brain and you can't ever imagine it could be good. In this circumstance, it was bad. And if you saw that person five years, 10 years later, and you said like, hey, do you remember when you said this? And stuff like that, and they're like, I don't, like, who are you? Like, I don't even remember. Like, and they're not meaning to be mean in that point. But what I mean is that like, we don't know when we're in a position of power or admiration okay, or respect. We don't know what the things that we say, how much weight they're going to carry. So I wonder, this sounds like pretty callous, but I do wonder, I mean, again, it's, it's just one of those moments where that physician's just a, a person. And I'm, I just find it so hard to believe that somebody would just be just dunk on another person. It does happen. And in that instance, it's pretty easy for you and I to just say like, that's wrong. But that doesn't speak to like, just saying something is wrong is obviously not what our system needs. Right. Like it needs more nuanced discussion about like, well, then why are we here? Because if it's just as simple as you're wrong, then the fix would be pretty easy, which is just identifying that that's wrong. See, and I'm going to sideswipe this line of mm -hmm. conversation, right? Because like, th you know, think about what we're doing here. It, it mm -hmm. almost doesn't matter if it actually happened. The fear of it happening is real. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And that is what patients are fighting. Right? Yes. And you've seen an experience. Mm -hmm compassion fatigued providers. Mm -hmm. And it's not mm -hmm. a stretch for you to imagine some of your colleagues no. doing something like that. Now, of course, what we are not going to say is, well, you should just get over it. Because it shouldn't right. happen. Right. It shouldn't happen. Right. It should never, right. ever right. happen. And it is right. a crime. That's, that's obviously hyperbole. It is a tragedy that we, we, you and I on this podcast, the podcast for patients, as you and I right. think about it, Right. to empower and equip pe people that we care about who need help navigating the system, we have to prepare them for this. That is what literally right. you and I are doing right now. But think is about, yeah, I agree. Think about this. So I think it does speak to what translates your doctors about at least one of the things, which is how, because I reflect on it. You're going to say you, I mean, like the like anybody, you are going to say something at one point that's going to upset another person. 
And odds are your intents are good. Most people are good. I truly believe that. Most people are good. And most people's intent is good. But nonetheless, you're going to put your foot in your mouth at some point. And if it's with a loved one, odds are, right? That's who you're usually talking to. If it's with a loved one, generally in those circumstances, you can say, that person can say right back to you, like, oh, that hurt my feelings, or I, I am upset, or I can be visibly upset with you. And that that will not make the conversation stopped abruptly. It will allow, hopefully, a conversation so that you can hash out and say, like, that really hurt, and we can move forward and be have a relationship that continues to grow. In fact, it's stronger now. And that's what Translation Your Doctor is about, right? Which is getting people to recognize that your relationship with your physician is a relationship, is not just an interaction. Because if you want it to just be an interaction, you're going to, you could roll double snake eyes and get this woman's poor episode, right? Where someone well, said something very hurtful, but that's the end of the interaction and she, she leaves. A relationship by definition is reciprocity, right? There's mm -hmm. balance. There's balance right. to a relationship, 100%. Right. And Michelle, Dr. McClelland, yes. highlighted this with her. A relationship allows room for fallibility, yes. which is what you're talking about, right? Which right. is the, the, and there is relationship capital that can right. be used both ways, built through successful exactly. interactions, and it can be it can be lost through unsuccessful interactions. And Dr. Right. McClellan talks, talked about that with this oh, by the way quality, which triggers a lot of physicians who feel compressed in a day. And then when they feel like a, a patient is not respecting their time, which of course is not what the patient's doing 99.9% right. .9 of the time, patient exactly. doesn't know. The patient doesn't understand how to properly right. consume healthcare. Patient's like, oh, by the way, while I'm here, right. I almost forgot to mention I, also I have, have this, this other issue. Thing. Yes. And they're like, no, no, you don't. No, you don't, because I don't have time. You don't have another issue. I think we're done. Which of course is unskillful, of course shouldn't happen. And with a proper relationship, you can navigate right. that. Dr. McClelland on that podcast, everyone should go listen to it, gave a wonderful exactly. example of how that interaction should happen, which is Dr. McClelland circled back with that patient and apologized because exactly. that is the missing piece. Exactly. That is the point with this. Exactly. And this is this highlights, but I'm gonna I'm gonna keep you back to yes. why we're talking about this so we don't get yes, too, yes, too yes. lost yes, in yes, the yes, ether, yes, yes, yes. which is the point is that this is the thing blocking the relationship. Once the relationship is established, of course it's easier to navigate. But the but as a as a first principle, if you're if you're trying to establish a new relationship right. with a doctor, and right. and whether this happens or not, it is the fear of this happening that dictates the relationship. Absolutely, brings the patient into the room with this level of I start out defensive. I start right. out defensive. It is hard for patients to talk about anything that's stigmatized because there's almost this level of like, how do I prove that it's not my fault? Or how do I, you know, not be made fun of in this moment? Like it's hard for patients to be vulnerable because of the fear of stigmatization. It's so many things. I mean, because... <laughs> And this is what I love about medicine, but it's also so difficult. You talk about the stigmatization, which is absolutely true because physicians are people, patients are people. We keep hammering that down. And a relationship, again, is a tool to better facilitate different people coming together. That's like, that's what it's meant to do, ideally. And you're right. If you're coming in the first time ever and you don't have any preconceived notions about this doctor based other than your past experiences, whether on television or radio or even books or personally or with your family, whatever, what have you, that's really hard. And how do you, so let's make this valuable and useful. Yeah, yeah. You, you and I can do this all day. 
how do you manage this? You teach me. Like, how do you, you see this every day? People that have STDs, people that have morbid obesity, people that have things. And and I'm sure you, I bet you see this scar tissue from people. Uh, Let me give you a brief example. Something that I saw every day at the primary care clinic, the family medicine clinic that I worked at, which was, Patients would come in and on the on the you know, chief complaint or, or reason for visit, it would say, oh, they have like whatever, a uh, hangnail. And they'd do a workup with the MA and then the doctor would come in and they'd be like, okay, look, I don't have a hangnail. I've got syphilis or like whatever. Exactly. Like I think exactly. I've got some like, yes. which is... It like speaks stealthing it like patient. Yeah. stealthing. Is that the term? Is that a, a no? I just I just say it right okay, now, but that's a, like a trade. It's a trade term. Absolutely. Like it, it speaks to this like uh, this emotional charge. That that's an emotionally charged conversation. Just by the nature of the deception that happened, it's like okay, we're gonna need to navigate this very carefully. Um, how do you handle that? I think that for a variety of circumstances, making it normal for that person. Does that mean that it's normal? No, because I do think that there's an importance in society and in medicine to be like, you may have done something to contribute to your health problem. And we have to acknowledge that before we move forward. But if you didn't, it doesn't matter. It doesn't change my approach per se, because that outcome is what I'll say normal for you. It doesn't make it normal in terms of physiologically, you know, like that, but this is who you are like coming at me, whether you're struggling with substance abuse, morbid obesity, not taking your medicines and getting sicker, any number of things. And I think you got to meet people where they are. And so the way I think about it is that I generally just like to ask questions and I'll say, well, you're coming here with this problem. We'll talk about this patient that you're making up with, you know, who's told the MA one thing, but then tell you I'm here for syphilis. I'll be like, okay, well, why did you feel the need to tell me something in the MA different? She works with me. And it was like, well, I didn't feel comfortable because I wanted to tell you only. It's like, okay, well, that sounds like you're having, I mean, you correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like you're having difficulty accepting about this diagnosis. Is that true? And depending on what they say, well, yes, like I really, you know, I didn't think that would happen or yes, you know, I, I was, I got this because I was unfaithful to my wife and I, I don't know how to get around. It. And so like, you, you hear all kinds of things. And I think I would just ask like, well, what bothers you more, the disease or the societal implications of what you have, the stigma, like you're, you're saying, and some people may know, some people may not, you know, again, not a lot of people just have the, they just kind of understand like, this was a bad thing I did. And that like, I, I need to not have this anymore. And I just need you to take care of it. And I'm not going to engage with you on that. And I, if I, if that's the case, then I'm like, okay, well then let's talk very simply about the mechanics. So walk me through your mindset of that, right? That's a, that's an yeah. isolated example. Expand that out to a rule. Like, do you, what would you call that rule? What would you call your approach to like something where you feel like, okay, this is, this has got a little higher stakes to it. I think that like compassionate questioning, you know, just like trying to meet the patient where they are and why they feel that way. That doesn't work for the example that you gave, I would say, right? In terms of fixing this, this poor woman who came to this physician and said, I can't eat. And he said a callous remark. I think that if I had to think in that instance, the strategy the physician was attempting is if it indeed, I'm given huge benefit of the doubt, but the strategy was perhaps I don't have a solution for your problem. That makes me feel insecure as doctor because I'm meant to have solutions and therefore I'm going to minimize the problem however I can, which is dismissing it out of hand, making a joke about it, you know, redirecting to other issues like your weight and so on. And to to fix again, the, the core insecurity, which is I can't fix your issue. 
my solution, like you're saying, is that regardless of whether or not I can fix your issue, I can understand it. Hmm. And if, if you understand it, because there's a lot of people who haven't even gotten there. And if that's the case, then let's get you to a way of understanding. There's something even in your sharing that pops up to me and, and any patient that's listening to this that is bringing emotional energy into a conversation with a physician. If you have something that you feel is stigmatized, you feel like there's a stigma around, ironically, that's a great way to shop around for a physician because mm -hmm. if you find mm -hmm. someone that handles mm -hmm. that skillfully, you've probably found a good advocate. You've probably mm -hmm. found someone that's gonna be a good partner for you in your health. Those high stakes conversations, that sword cuts both ways. Mm -hmm. It's very scary because you can have a really terrible outcome mm -hmm. and that's very damaging damaging to the physician's reputation if there was a, if it was a simple misunderstanding and obviously damaging to the patient psychologically and and their relationship to the profession their relationship to healthcare the traditional healthcare mm -hmm. system because they they will tell that story forever about how another story mm -hmm. about how healthcare failed the average patient but it's also a chance for repair and it's a chance to build trust yes. because if you yes. handle that re interaction skillfully if you handle that interaction with care, compassion, love, building trust, wow, what a powerful story. What a powerful way to rebuild trust with the system, rebuild trust that there are good doctors, quote unquote, good nurses, good whoever care people out there. Because everyone has a terrible healthcare story. I hope everyone also has a, wow, I really interacted with someone, like you said, that made a difference, that made a positive difference with me, even if it was the most banal thing in the in the world. I agree. And like we're talking about this, this, this podcast, Translate Your Doctor in General is not meant to be a passive thing. It's not meant to be, I hope I win the lotto with my doctor and stuff like that. You're talking about shopping around, but a lot of it is appraisal, right? Like understanding, does this person offer me that? But I don't think a lot of people logistically have the luxury to just be like, well, I'm going to go like for a used car, I'm going to go to the different lots. I'm going to try all these doctors out. I'm going to see which one fits and stuff. Sure, maybe people are lucky enough to do that. But I would say I'm distilling it down, but even in seven out of 10 doctors, you know what I mean? And what I mean is like, they are quality seven out of 10, you know, they're not a 10 out of 10 and so on. Even in middling physicians for kind of capacity to be compassionate and understand you, we translated doctor want to give, give strategies to patients to get the, the results they want. Mm -hmm. And again, it gets back to those kind of original tenets we talk about in the introductory seminar, which is like, know what success looks like to you. What do you want from that interaction? I think it's important to understand what you don't want because getting back to this woman's example, she didn't want to be have her weight involved and that's harder, like negatives are harder. Let me challenge that, let me challenge that. Maybe maybe it would have been appropriate to get the weight involved. I don't know about that whole interaction, sure. it, but, but the doctor made a joke. Made a callous joke. Right, right. Like the, the, it's, the, it's about the joke, I think. Yeah. Well, I guess what I mean to say is like, it's harder to have rules that are negatives, right? That to say, like, well, I don't want this. I don't want that. Cause it's a bit hard for the next step to find and advocate for that because it's hard to just be like, well, you know, I, I don't want a doctor who, you know, likes bell peppers on his pizza and stuff like that. And you got to go about finding that. It's much easier to be like, to ask questions and to figure out it is valuable to me that when I am vulnerable, that my physician meet me and understand that I'm vulnerable yep. and take that seriously. Yep. And one does not in the first 20 minutes have to have that conversation with a doctor. But I think that, you know, it's very easy to ask somebody. It's like, you know, if I have something really hard that happens to me, 
Like, what is your strategy for, for me to bring that to you? How do you want me to bring that to you? Like if I'm really struggling with, it's not right now, you know, I'm, I'm just coming in because I want my physical and I'm meeting you for the first time. But like in the future, I assume something's going to happen to myself or a loved one. How do you want me to bring that to you? Yep. That doctor may not know in that moment. That doctor may be like, you know what? I don't know. No one's asked me that or something like that, but that's going to plant a seed to at least start that. And I bet you nine times out of 10, when you do bring that thing, they're not going to make a joke because they understand you took it seriously. And credit also to Maggie Teleska from the mm -hmm. Congestive Heart Failure Support Group because she talks about that, that one of her elements, one of her winning formulas when working with a physician is to ask that question like, hey, how can I best work with you? What do you need to hear from me so that you can best understand me? How, how can I package what I'm going through in a way that you can understand? And and getting the physician to say explicitly like, oh, well, here's here's what's helpful for me to know. Here's the knowledge I need from you to best care for you. And isn't that a two-way street? Right. Yes. Also, the physician being able to say, hey, how can I package this in a way where you, patient, feel like you're you're really understanding what I'm saying? Yes. And that, ex that exchange of trust and also the political capital, the relationship capital you get by saying, I am willing to meet you halfway, because that's a, that's a way yeah. to say, I'm willing to, to mold my style around your stylistic preferences, right. which is a, a way to give control to even out the, the power imbalance in the room. Because a, a tributary of this conversation too is this idea of patient-led, I forget the name of it, where like the patient is is a collaborator on their care plan. Help me with that term. Patient autonomy? Yes, like this patient autonomy movement where it's, mm -hmm. I'm not telling the patient what the plan is. I'm <laughs> suggesting multiple avenues to the patient. And shared decision-making. They are shared decision-making. That's, yep, that's what I'm looking for. Because I think all of this is part of that same dialogue and and all of that only works with with trust with a relationship and the stigma conversation and this the shared negative storytelling that can that can happen between physician and patient blocks that that relationship yeah. which was yeah. the theme of this yeah would you have ever shared your favorite toy with someone you didn't trust that sounds yeah, absolutely not no it doesn't sound but like it's, 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 it's like the same thing yeah 100 percent. that's, that's a good that's a, a very simple and easy to understand analogy around around one of the big blocks in the system and it's unfortunate because it's so important especially you and i've talked a lot with the congestive heart failure support group recently we we really enjoy interacting mm -hmm. with those people because those people do have a, a tough road to hoe because of this longitudinal challenge right anyone with a life-altering illness has a this longitudinal need to have a, a very effective high fidelity relationship with the healthcare system they need the most help and so you and i have felt really called to lean in mm -hmm. uh, with that group and man there's just there's so there's so much around trust and relationships even there and every time we hear about this inelegance the inelegance of the system handling these people with life-altering illnesses, you and I just cringe. It's just oh, so incredibly mm -hmm. painful. And it leaves a lot of, the unfortunate thing about that too, that we're not talking about that could also be another episode, is that it leaves a ton of room for bad actors as you talk about it. Yes. Because people will go look for that relationship no matter what. And it can align with people who are giving good, sound medical advice and doing the right thing for you. And it can align with people who are fast talkers and saying what you want to hear and doing what you think you need. With excellent marketing departments and yeah. commercials and yes, using the tricks of the trade to yeah. build 
Absolutely. Which is like kind of what we're talking about in terms of like, look out for these things in terms of good stuff, right? With that people are listening to you and people are engaging with you and people are validating your concerns and fears. And that is all excellent. It's a shame though, that it can be difficult to differentiate that. Cause like you say, that dichotomy of power is so great that you can like, I wouldn't be able to tell that for a mechanic for my car a lot. Right. And I mean, you, you, may get burned once and you're like, well, I'm not going back there. That, that seems, you know, but it may not be so simple in healthcare. So yeah. that's the, I think the other side of this, which is also damaging. This was your great suggestion for an episode, Trey. And we, we did our thing of sort of careening all over the road to try to cover <laughs> a, a, a nuanced, deep topic, anything you want to add. And, and did we get to the heart of what you feel like you had to say around the stigmatization issue? I think so. I think yes and no. I mean, again, you you do talk on, I mean, it is when we start leaning into nuance, it can be meandering and we're combating that. However, I do think that always coming back to like what translates your doctors for in the circumstance in which we're talking about. And if one can advocate for a relationship with their physician, then one can talk about stigmatized things Ideally, understanding that the world is imperfect and doesn't owe you anything, but you can work and make effort to build the world that you want, or at least can tolerate. And I, I think that's the same as it applies to physician-patient relationships, which is things might be unfair. Some people, some person, both patient and physician, MA or nurse, the receptionist at the front, you know, can say something callous or well-meaning, but very upsetting for whatever reason. And, but we can work through that and not everything can be worked through, right? You can't marry everyone, but you could probably marry a lot of people and make it work. And I think that that's inherently how we should think about the patient physician relation. And that's what I would advocate for, for again, translate your doctor, which is understand what you need, advocate for that thing, if you can't get it through diligent work, then look someplace else. That's an excellent last word on this topic. Shameless plug. <laughs> if you're interested in hearing and seeing the full 16 minute introductory lecture that Trey gives on sort of the translate your doctor philosophy, head to our website, translateyourdoctor.com. We're going to revise the website in the next couple of weeks as soon as we get time. But you can sign up for our mailing list there. Everyone that signs up for our mailing list is going to get that introductory uh, lecture. And then you also get regular updates about talks that uh, Dr. Sertish will give and, and things that we'll be doing out there in the community to try to espouse and advocate for, for patients. Head to, if you want to send us a, a comment, question, you can email us at translateyourdoctor at gmail.com. Pretty straightforward. Please go ahead and leave us five stars. Leave us a comment on Apple, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you can. We're just trying to grow the word of mouth, trying to help people out. We're interested to hear what's been useful what hasn't been useful. Uh, we're serving you, listener. This is You're our customer for this podcast. Very interested in, in trying to take this dialogue that Trey and I are having and distilling it down into really useful uh, information for you. So as always, we appreciate you giving us a, a shot and some of these messy topics, but we're trying to have the sort of dialogues that, that you're not hearing other places about these topics in medicine. Trey, thanks as always. Yeah, thank you.